Hello and welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the State Newspaper. I am your host, Greg Headley, and I am joined by my fellow sports reporter, Ben Briner. Ben, we live together, but I feel like I have to ask you for the pod. How you doing? You know, all right. I, I forgot how camp season worked. Even weird, somewhat closed down camp season. Yeah, at the time being, we are still going. The season is still scheduled to be played. Students are coming back on campus, so... We're starting to get back into the rhythm of things, even if it's a little different than it normally is. Last time we talked, I believe, was last Tuesday, and since then we have been hit with a tidal wave of news for South Carolina football. Let's start this past Thursday. There were so many things that happened on Thursday. There were too many things that happened on Thursday. Well, we started talking to the players over Zoom, and then we got news or rumors started to leak out that... South Carolina football freshman running back Marshawn Lloyd had gone down with some sort of injury very quickly. The team announced that he had he had actually torn his ACL, I believe, on Wednesday in a non-contract drill. Marshawn is a guy that we talked a lot about on the last podcast about being super key for the running back position, a position that is in a lot of flux for South Carolina football. So obviously it starts with, you know, a very unfortunate injury for a guy that had a lot of promise, and that's very devastating for him. Overall, though, this impacts the entire team a lot, too. Well, I mean, it it takes away from the ceiling of your offense. I mean, he was the kind of player that you could give the ball to and just watch him go to work, assuming the blocking was decent. Is it possible that they fill in and replace the rest, you know, the other running backs step up? Yeah, I think it's very possible. I think that there's enough talent to do that. But I don't think that the playmaking upside is going to quite be there. And this is a team that frankly does need more playmaking upside unless the wide receiver position gets a whole lot better really really fast so I just kind of tend to think it puts a little bit more ceiling on this offense and that's going to be tough because this team was already facing a really tough schedule and was going to kind of need that offense to you know step up in some way and you just lost sort of the best way to do that Obviously, he's just a freshman, but there was already a lot of pressure on him. And so now that he's not going to be able to contribute this year, it it just kind of feels like a little bit of a letdown already. Behind him, you've got a junior college running back, Saquandre White, that started his career at Florida State as a linebacker and then went to JUCO and was, I think, the top-ranked junior college prospect in his class. What can he give to the offense? Well, technically, let me correct you there a little bit. He actually went to Florida State as a running back under Jimbo Fisher. Then Jimbo Fisher leaves after he redshirts, which in retrospect is kind of weird because he's really athletic, and I'd have to go back and see why he redshirted. New staff comes in, decides they want to make him a linebacker, and you know it speaks to his overall talent that I think he made 22 tackles as a linebacker, which that's kind of a lot for a guy who didn't like the position so much he just left right after being asked to play it and went back to running back. I think he... He has a lot of upside. I think he is that athletic. I think he's that talented. He obviously came in late. He's got to pick up stuff in terms of pass blocking and this and that. And he's not necessarily the biggest. I believe he's only listed 200 pounds and listed six foot one. So not necessarily the most burly back, but I think he's probably got some pretty good upside in terms of explosiveness and in terms of wiggle and being able to move. So he's kind of a guy that I think... I would be very unsurprised if he ends up being the starter because he is probably one of the most proven guys they've got. Elsewhere, they've got, you know, sort of burlier backs. Uh, Rashad Amos is a big kid, and he's only a freshman, was kind of under the radar compared to Lloyd, but I think he 
could be pretty interesting. And then you've got two veterans in Kevin Harris, who's kind of a little bowling ball of a of a back, and Deshaun Fenwick, who I think you know has looked pretty good according to people around the program, namely Mike Bobo, who keeps saying extremely nice things about him. You mentioned Deshaun Fenwick. That was a guy I wanted to talk about just because Mike Bobo has been so complimentary of him, but not necessarily a guy we heard a ton about, especially in comparison to, say, a Kevin Harris who had one big game against Charleston Southern last year. How much do you think Fenwick can contribute this year? Well, Fenwick has always been kind of a a big-bodied, seemingly talented dude. I know heading into his true freshman season, there was an expectation he wasn't going to redshirt because he was just so big and kind of quick that at worst, he was going to be a special teams guy. That didn't end up happening. He ends up almost quitting uh, at least once leading into that second season. Maybe in that second season, he's not getting a lot of playing time. But then what ends up happening is he gets that one big game against Vanderbilt. I think that kind of stabilizes things for him a little bit. And now it's sort of an interesting question because... If he dedicates himself and he throws himself into giving maximum effort like it sounds like he has, you know, that's a guy who could be maybe a starting tailback, at worst, a good SEC reserve tailback. Now, on the other hand, against teams that aren't Chattanooga and Vanderbilt, he's only, you know, carried the ball four, I think four or five times and for maybe five or six yards total. So we'll obviously have to see what he can kind of do going into year three, going against better competition. But I don't know. I mean, it sounds like he's doing all the right stuff. And if he's doing that, it's not like he's lacking in terms of decent speed and pretty good size. I just wanted to touch on one more thing with the running back position and and Marshawn Lloyd's injury before I move on. And that's, I mean, that there's this almost this perception that, you know, South Carolina has been disproportionately affected by injuries, has had a lot of major injuries happen over the past couple years i think uh the last strength and conditioning coach jeff dillman got you know a lot of flack from certain parts of the fan base for that this happens in a non-contact setting apparently he just stepped weirdly and tears his acl i mean i think this just goes to show that football can be real freaky and things can happen that you know are completely out of your control well that's that's true and i think Last year, the coaching staff, Will Muschamp, sort of between the lines, said that a lot of their injuries were sort of the more preventable kind. The year before, they had a bunch of injuries, and he felt those were the the less preventable kind. Obviously, you know, people's bodies are you know flying around like pinballs. Knees get get hit, legs get hit, bones get broken, what have you. This certainly did kind of relight the consistent concern about. Under Armour, the quality of Under Armour's cleats, which I think at least dates back to the Connor Shaw era. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of fan bases who have various struggles see lots of injuries and sort of assume that they are the only ones having them necessarily. Now, South Carolina might be on the higher end. That's certainly possible. But I mean, I also know I used to cover Ball State and... When things went bad, Ball State's injury numbers were ridiculous, and they were playing super random kids that they just had to play. And, I mean, I don't know if that means anything other than football teams have injuries because it's violent. It's a super violent game. All right, moving on from the running backs, we've talked to Coach Bobo and some of the players and 
One thing that was interesting is the their talk about freshman wide receiver Rico Powers. Wide receiver is a position we've we've talked about before as being kind of a, a question mark and also a key a key point for the Gamecocks this year. What what have we been hearing there? Well, I think Rico Powers was a guy who'd been standing out pretty much through all of the preseason work. He was a guy that Mike Bobo even talked about in the spring after just watching his film from high school. A little bit of a taller taller-ish receiver. I think he's still kind of filling out, but it sounds like at the very least he's put in a lot of work, worked on his conditioning. He's decently explosive. And I mean, he's a he's a kid who for much of his high school career was sort of a running back slash receiver type. Uh, and then, you know, last year played for a pretty strong program in, in the Atlanta area. I think it's interesting because on the one hand, it's notable that when a starter got hurt, he was the player who stepped in. But... Obviously, that also says a little bit something about where the receiver depth is. And I know we've often talked about sort of the young receivers who have kind of looked good in the preseason and the amount that that translates sort of hit or miss. I mean, Brian Edwards looked good. He was pretty much an out-of-the-box star. Nice things were said about Josh Van and Xavier Leggett, and their freshman seasons were, you know, fine. They were okay. So I think there's a little bit of a wait-and-see. I did think there was one interesting thing that Mike Bobo said, which... Earlier in sort of the interview session, he had complimented the conditioning of, or he'd said Shai Smith needs to up his conditioning and compared it to Jamar Chase of LSU, basically pointing out that Jamar Chase just ran, you know, deep streak after deep streak and seemingly never left the field because he was so well conditioned. And later, Mike Bobo kind of invoked that level of fitness, describing Rico Powers, basically saying... I don't know what his 40 time is, but he's running about that 40 time every single time down the field. So I thought that was interesting. Some of that might just be about, you know, level of dedication, but a kid who applies himself and already has, uh, you know, decent, I think, four-star talent, that's something to keep an eye on. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. We spent these first two pods back from the break talking a lot about skill positions, obviously. But one area that could be under the radar more important than people realize is the center spot for South Carolina. They're graduating a longtime starter, Donnell Stanley, who stepped in, I believe, last year after Hank Manos kind of had a, a little bit of a disastrous first game against UNC. Where is you know the, the state of the position at the moment? And I mean, how, how key is that going to be for a unit that, you know, didn't do a great job of protection last year? Well, the state of that position is, I think, still relatively unknown. We assume Hank Manos is kind of in the mix there. Eric Douglas has long been sort of potentially an option there. Unless something happens at the guard position, they probably can't shift Jovan Gwen down there. But, you know, you never know. Perhaps that comes to pass if they want to move Jalen Nichols to guard from tackle or something. But, I mean, I think it's important because I think that Hank Manos' struggles in that, that game against UNC last season were really, really costly. 
And, you know, an offensive line only works if you got five guys who are low on weaknesses. One issue kind of brings a lot of it apart. Ultimately, I think that there's probably still a few more turns on that front. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised to see Manos get it. I mean, he's really strong. He's pretty technically sound. It's just a matter of, you know, fixing whatever it was that caused him all those problems uh, in the opener last year. But yeah, I think that that's one of those battles that we'll get a little more clarity on, especially when, you know, we actually talk to an offensive lineman as uh, we were supposed to talk to Cesarius Hutcherson, and then he uh, slipped out before he could do interviews last week. Going back to that tidal wave of news that we were talking about last Thursday, Marshawn Lloyd tears his ACL, obviously a huge blow, and not eight hours later... The Gamecocks got a huge commitment from 2022 quarterback Gunnar Stockton. First of all, all-time quarterback name, Gunnar Stockton. Uh, he is a five-star recruit, according to the 247 Sports Composite. The highest QB recruit South Carolina has gotten in the recruiting service era. Ben, you've watched some film from him. What are the Gamecocks getting, potentially, in Gunnar Stockton? They're getting a, I think, pretty creative quarterback. Gunnar Stockton is not the biggest, but he is a very well-developed passer. He's quick. He doesn't play against the, the highest level of competition, but he just has sort of a little bit of that kind of wizardry to him. He he just he makes plays. I mean, I remember, I think it was after his freshman year, watching his highlights and just sort of marveling at them because he was really, really good and his numbers were just bonkers for a kid in his first season. Obviously, he's been taught first by Lee Shaw, Connor Shaw's dad, and then Lee Shaw retired after Stockton's freshman year, which led to Jabo Shaw, Connor's brother, getting promoted. Jabo had been the offensive coordinator beforehand. And I mean, he is highly productive, mobile. Again, not the biggest dude, but just seems very productive and. I think it's a big recruiting get for the intermediate term of the Will Muschamp era because I know I've mentioned it several times, but you're going to have to get to the seventh year of Will Muschamp being South Carolina's head coach to get him on campus. Most likely, there's probably some scenario in which Mike Bobo and Connor Shaw are still around and Will Muschamp is not, but not much of a scenario. And I think those Shaw and Bobo connections were really, really big for bringing him into the mix here. So it's one of those interesting news stories because if it had happened to a coach in his, you know, even coming off his third year, we'd sort of, you know, be looking ahead and saying, well, you know, a guy committing before his junior year is going to be here soon enough. But, you know, we're entering year five of the Muschamp era, and it, it's just kind of a different feel. You mentioned, you know, he's getting coached by Connor Shaw's brother and father. He, I believe, also had a, a connection with Mike Bobo's father who helped coach him as well when he was younger. Yeah, Mike Bobo's dad, George, a long, long time coach in the uh, state of Georgia. George Bobo was a head coach uh, for his son in the early 90s and then ended up moving uh, into the North Georgia area where Gunnar Stockton lives to go coach with, I believe, Kirby Smart's dad at uh, Rabin County. And George Bobo was very retired at this point, but he had kind of a standing offer that he would come out, work with quarterbacks if the high school coaches asked. I believe, I, I want to say it was in a 247 article, Stockton said that George Bobo basically taught him how to throw a football and might have even convinced 
some of his coaches then that he was actually a quarterback and not more of a linebacker. So, you know, George Bobo, incredibly nice man, very respected coach. I think his presence probably allows Mike Bobo a certain uh, ability to kind of get in there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned he he's out of Tiger, Georgia, Gunnar Stockton, that is. And obviously he has all these South Carolina ties, but it still is, you know, somewhat impressive that they were able to go into Georgia. He was, you know, he was down to a final two of South Carolina and Georgia, and they were able to beat out Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs again for a a really, really big commitment. And obviously, as you mentioned, there's two years now before he, you know, actually gets to college and a lot of things can change between now and then. But all in all, an, an impressive, an impressive recruiting win. And I mean, just goes to show... Will Muschamp's recruiting has lacked in some areas, some could say, but I think when it comes to, to QBs, there's there's no debating. They, they've had a good stretch here. Oh, yeah. I think, um, I want to say I looked it up, and it was basically like of the top five QB recruits that have ever come to the school, I think Will Muschamp, oh, I mean, I guess Gunnar Stockton hasn't yet, but I think Will Muschamp has three of them at least. I can't remember if Jake Bentley was the eighth or ninth highest rated quarterback recruit in program history, but whichever he is, he is the fifth highest rated quarterback recruit of the Muschamp era, which really hasn't been going on that long. I mean, you have multiple three Elite 11 guys in Doty, Halinski, and Brandon McElwain. You're probably going to have a fourth in Gunnar Stockton. So it's been kind of interesting to look at that as compared to the tight end and receiver recruiting, which has not yielded a ton overall. And so I'm going to be interested to sort of see how how does that kind of shake out, especially because two of those quarterbacks uh, that we mentioned, the Karrion Joyner and Luke Doty, currently either full-time or part-time wide receivers. But yeah, it's been been interesting to watch, and now they just have to, you know, convert that quarterback recruiting into long-running offensive success, especially, you know, just to get Gunnar Stockton on campus to begin with. Real quick, I just want to run through Gunnar Stockton's stats as a sophomore, just because they are so eye-popping. He threw for uh, 3,473 yards, threw for 43 touchdowns, had six interceptions, completed 71.6% of his passes, Oh, and he also ran for uh, 1,126 yards and 19 more touchdowns. And his freshman stats are actually not notably worse they're a little less robust i think he's in the 800 nearly 800 rushing yards and only 34 passing touchdowns but nah he's been he's been really good throughout i mean that's a good program they played for a state title the year before he took over the starting spot and it wouldn't be so surprising to see him uh lead them back to that level soon enough i think that's a good note to end on for today's episode but we will have more as the season gets closer. Friendly reminder to wear your mask and practice social distancing if you want college football this fall. Uh, Thanks for listening, and please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.